Aaron, yeah, uh, so we're actually going to be recording from my car. Uh, Evan's here with me in the passenger seat. I picked him up from the airport, but, like, some weird shit's going on out of here, man. Evan, you see that? Yeah. What is that, Derek? Looks like a bright light. It looks like a, a podcast. A podcast in the sky. Oh, no! <laughs> Welcome, everyone. To another episode of Watch If Dare, a horror movie podcast in which uh, myself, the coward, and my co-host, the movie monster boy, Aaron, watch horror movies and discuss fears and phobias associated with these horror movies, cultural relevancy, all that kind of stuff, and just how scary they are for fellow cowards out there like me, and just how good they are, how relevant they are to the horror community uh, like Aaron for those diehards. This week, we apologize if, at least on my end, the audio is a little weird because Evan is actually in town visiting. We have the microphone in between us and we're doing something I haven't done before uh, with it directly in between us. So, well, also... As a person who has been abducted by aliens, uh, electronics don't seem to work very well for me, so that could also be a problem. Um, Travis Walton could probably tell you about that. Is he kidding? We don't know. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Evan has been a guest twice before. I think so, yeah. Uh, but it's been a while since we had you back on, so this is a this is a good one to have you on. Yeah, well, you know, it's been like three years of intensive therapy after the last abduction, so uh, I'm glad to be back out in civilization, in public. It's still... Nice. Still don't know if he's kidding. I'm not. Yeah. I'll also apologize for my audio because my dogs are barking in the background and I am vacuum formed to a table right now with a probe (laughs) up my ass. So it is what it is. I I have a baby in the background. So yeah, we're all kinds of fun noises in the back. Yeah. Is it a alien human hybrid? Do you (laughs) know? (laughs) I don't know. Not sure yet. Savannah doesn't tell me her secrets. All right. Well, good to have a third person on once again. We always love having guests. And as always, we're going to go through some uh, recommendations. So let's start with you, Evan. What have you gotten into lately that is horror-related, whether it be movies, comics, books, etc.? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me again. Always fun to be on the show. So the two things I've got to recommend are actually both video games. The first one, everyone's going to be like, yeah, duh, uh, but I have to recommend the new Resident Evil Village. Yeah. I won't talk about any spoilers or anything, but for someone who kind of came into the series way late in the game, but has started to really get appreciation for the franchise, I had a blast playing it. If you are on the fence, because I've seen a lot of negative reviews, which I don't really agree with. Yeah, um, I don't understand that, because... A lot of the stuff I've seen has been very cool and positive. Yeah. I think the best explanation I was telling Derek earlier, it's like Resident Evil 7 and 4 had a baby. And sure. that's pretty much yeah. the uh, playstyle you're looking at, which I think is fantastic. It's got a decent amount of like actual scary moments and eerie scenery mixed in with a decent amount of action and gunplay never really leaves you in my opinion wanting more of uh, either one i think they balanced it really well the campaign was pretty much on par as far as length uh, with other major resident evil titles but i had uh, a lot of fun doing it and i'm now actually going through and playing it over and over so i can get all of the achievements so i've probably played the campaign actually like seven or eight times now <laughs> you told me you got to the point where you unlocked the infinite magnum which is usually yes. like one of the last unlocks in any resident Evil. so game. there's actually a couple of magnums in the game one that you can't unlock during your first playthrough that one is like obviously much more powerful but on my third playthrough i unlocked that magnum and infinite ammo so i've been kind of enjoying just running through and destroying enemies it's pretty satisfying especially when you get to parts when you're actually playing it you're like oh my god this is impossible and i hate 
you. Uh, and then you're like, well, looks like I'm going to shoot you in the face and you're going to die no matter what you are. So that's been really good. Definitely recommend it. Um, oh, and there's not to spoil too much, but there is, from what I've seen from gameplay and what you've told me, Evan, there is a scene involving like a dollhouse. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah. That is pretty creepy <laughs> yeah that section cranked up the horror elements a lot compared yeah. to other resident evils well, um, and that, that's a perfect marriage because while resident evil 4 i don't think is necessarily the scariest horror game i played it is in like my personal top five to ten video games ever i love resident evil 4 is a masterpiece in my mind uh, of a game and for it to marry kind of the setting and gunplay of four with the first person perspective and horror of seven yep i think that's a perfect marriage of the resident evil games yeah a lot of people uh, or a lot of the negative things i saw about it was that it took everything that was really good about seven being really kind of scary and difficult and made it easier which depending on what kind of gamer you are maybe that's the case but i would push back on that because both aaron and i and aaron you are more of a casual gamer than i am yeah but both of us didn't really seem to have much trouble with seven yeah. at all at any point even in the no. even in the sections where you don't have a gun i was just playing on standard difficulty because i'm not a masochist <laughs> but i didn't find it to be that insanely difficult no like, it was it was fun but i didn't find it to be like aggravatingly challenging i guess yep and i'm i'm excited to play the new one i have it it's literally sitting like on you know my tv console right now john if you're listening thanks for uh getting us the hookup with the ps5 so we uh have one now and i just haven't had the time to like tear apart the entire tv console rewire everything dust it clean all of it to get the ps5 set up but yeah i've got resident evil 8 ready to go and um i'm looking forward to setting it up so the other uh video game i'm going to recommend i actually just started playing myself but watched quite a bit of it on playthroughs on youtube and such is the sinking city and this was something yeah that i didn't really know about it wasn't on my radar i kind of just happened into it but it is very cool it's very atmospheric really and that kind of scariness i mean there are kind of some scary actual moments it, it but does not hide the fact at all that it is very heavily hp lovecraft yes. like it is hp lovecraft yeah. the game it's yeah. basically just an rpg of lovecraft correct yeah uh, you're playing through all of the cthulhu stories yeah. basically it's cool. um and it is really it's interesting and uh, the other aspect that I really appreciate about it is that you're playing as a private eye, but the game doesn't spoon feed you anything and it actually makes you feel like a detective. So when you're going through these cases, which is like how the missions are broken up, you actually have to find the clues and then find the places and objectives to go. In other words, it's not going to tell you like, oh, I'm an NPC and you should go to this building. Here it is highlighted on your map. So like from the little bit I've seen of you play it and like gameplay video I've seen, it's like this weird, speaking of like marrying different games and stuff together like we did with Resident Evil, it seems like it's a mix of like an RPG, like an almost an open world RPG because you can explore, mm -hmm. I think, the entire city and yeah. it's a pretty big map. But it also feels like the investigative parts of L.A. Noir with like sure. supernatural abilities instead yep. but then also to like some elements of like resident evil 4 over the you know over the shoulder yep. gunplay and stuff like that yeah it's really been enjoyable and the version i bought was actually on the switch i have tried to become a nintendo fanboy it's not working all the games i have are not nintendo games but I've been wanting to get the Sinking City for a while, and Nintendo actually put it on sale for 12 bucks. That version comes with the full game and six new cases for you to work through. So that was a 
hell of a deal uh, if anyone's out there kind of interested and you have a Switch. I don't know how long the sale's for, but uh, as of now, it's 12 bucks on uh, the Switch online, which it, is I, totally I worth do it. see it. I will say I do see it on sale on both PlayStation and Switch a lot, yeah. so you can probably get it pretty cheap. It's been out for over a year now. Yeah, even the disc version of it is like consistently about 20 bucks. Yeah. So that's one that I have on a list of like stuff to pick up, but I have such a backlog of games anyway that I'm not bothering with it. Officially, it got okay reviews, like a, a Metacritic in the 70s to 80s, I think. It feels like one of those horror games, and this is just me speaking from my my past experiences with obscure horror games and stuff. It feels like one of those horror games that's going to be underappreciated, and in a few years, it'll be considered like an underrated gem. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, it's not the perfect game. It's definitely like not triple A ridiculous graphics and stuff like that, but it does feel like it was made with a lot of love. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You could tell just by the voice acting and like the conversation that <laughs> you have. It yeah. is actually really well done, and they took a lot of time. I would assume took a lot of time to actually put into that, and it pays off. So RE8 and Sinking City, if you want to get into kind of the spooky vibes for video games. Yeah, and that, that's a good comparison with those two, because RE8 is like what you would want out of a AAA horror game, and then Sinking City is more of the next step down from AAA. I don't know if it was a full indie studio that made it, but I'm not it sure. was like a double A, if you want right, yeah. to call um, it that. The one critique, now that I'm thinking about it, that I do have for RE8, just because I'm me is the descriptions and the way that the guns actually work is way wrong for what they would actually be oh, in buddy, real life. That's yeah, that's yeah. been RE, that's RE for a while. Too. Yeah. Well, that's video games. Too. Oh, absolutely. But uh, uh, I, I, my favorite gun in Resident Evil 4 was the mine thrower where you yeah. just shot mines at people and the mines would attach to enemies and then you could shoot the mine and blow them up. I was halfway expecting that to kind of come back because yeah. one of the first things you get is a crafting recipe for mines and I was like, oh, mine thrower? But yeah. it doesn't. Happen. I don't think that I don't think the mind thrower took off with the fan base. I just appreciate how dumb that gum was. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, Derek, what have you got? So I got a video game and a book. Book is one that I've talked about in the past, but I finished it over the between birth of my daughter and the cancer stuff and all that stuff. I finally like finished it over our hiatus. So I wanted to talk about it more because there were some more short stories that I really liked, and that is once again going back to Stephen King's Skeleton Crew collection of short stories. Just as a quick reminder, he put out this collection like the 80s, I want to say. Like, I think it was like 1985. And at the point that I had recommended it a few episodes ago, I think I had only read through four of the stories, but one of the stories was The Mist in like its full form. But I read the rest of the short stories, and there are a total of 22 short stories in this collection. I've read like two or three of his other short story collections, and this might be my favorite one out of the ones I've read so far. I'll just hit a couple of the short stories that I thought were both creepy as well as good. Probably my favorite story in this entire book, and it's one of the shorter ones of the short stories, is called The Jaunt. It is sci-fi horror, but the horror doesn't really happen until the very end of the story, and it has one of the best horror endings of anything I've, like, not just, like, books, just anything horror-related that I've read. And, like, the imagery and the way King writes what happens is, like, dripping and dripping. The basic premise of the jaunt is it's like somewhere down the future in this alternate timeline.
timeline of like humanity a guy just discovered kind of in his backyard like he was hired by the government to do something with a, a study and he just so happened to like stumble upon long distance teleportation by like kind of making wormholes but there is a catch to traveling through the wormholes and I don't want to say more than that because it kind of reveals what happens in the story in order to people to safely pass through these wormholes like as travel at this point in the future they're using it as just like basic travel from like earth to mars but for people to pass through the jaunt safely they have to do something and i'm not going to say what uh in case you want to go and read this short story but it's phenomenal i loved it another good story was the raft which i believe the raft was actually adapted in one of the creep show i think it was creep show part creep two. Show two yeah and the raft is just basically about four college people go out on a lake to like one of those wooden rafts that are out in the middle of lake sometimes and they get trapped there for a reason i'm not going to reveal and some horrible shit happens to them <laughs> of course another great one which was another like sci-fi horror was beach world in which these guys that are on like a spaceship of some kind crash land on a beach planet but there's something menacing about the planet like one of the guys starts going insane and literally just starts calling the planet a beach without water and like treats it like a literal beach and like things go from there you have other kind of creepy stories like the reaper's image survivor type was a pretty good one where uh, a surgeon gets stranded on a desert island has to deal with cannibalizing him himself to survive that's not really giving away much because it happens pretty early there was one story called uncle otto's truck which i winded up liking but i did roll my eyes a bit through the story because it i don't know what it is with stephen king and not only making inanimate objects deadly and like possessed but like a Especially vehicles. <laughs> yeah. Maximum Overdrive, Christine. Christine, yeah. Maximum Overdrive. He had a short story, I want to say, in the Bizarre of Bad Dreams that had to deal with like a killer car. And then in Uncle Otto's truck, it's about a truck that's possessed, is slowly making its way towards this guy's house, or he thinks it is. And like people don't know if he's going insane or not, or if the truck is actually like malevolent. It's Stephen King. You can probably guess where it goes. There's a couple other ones, but there were two more stories that I wanted to touch on because I find them fascinating and I wonder if they influenced another thing that I've recommended a few times on our show so two more stories are called Morning Deliveries aka Milkman number one and then the next story is Big Wheels A Tale of the Laundry Game aka Milkman number two Okay, it's like a two part story basically it kind of follows around the backdrop of this milkman who is evil and murderous and like is leaving like poison milk out for people on their porches and like leaving poisonous spiders in the milk jars stuff like this but the way King Wright wrote the character it's very similar to like the feeling I got from any time I've read the Ice Cream Man the comic yeah. that I brought up several times to the point where I wonder if he got influence from these short stories if we were ever to get him onto the podcast that would be one of the things I would ask it had a very heavy vibe of the Ice Cream Man to me but yeah so if you are a Stephen King fan and you want a good collection of his short stories from non-horror related stories to some crazy horror related stories that he wrote back before he hit really big this is a good collection the uh, skeleton crew this will be the last time i bring it up now that i've read it but i had to kind of touch on some of those other short stories that i hadn't talked about previously my last uh recommendation also a video game also a new video game also one that like evan was saying with re8 is kind of like duh is a uh, returnal which aaron i know you made fun of me when i first talked about <laughs> it a while ago being like it sounds like video game the video game i made fun of the fact that the title's really dumb let's be real the title's really dumb. yeah i, I will yeah say it's, but it is. it's also just a con 
concept that's been done so many times already that, okay, sure, like, that's your whole idea for the game. All right, cool, just you gotta make it really good. If you're gonna take a really played-out concept like that, you better make one hell of a game. And it seems like they have, for the most part. It seems like it may be, you know, one of the early hits for the PS5. Yeah, it's a PS5 exclusive. I will say I do think it'll probably eventually at least find its way on the Steam way down the line, but for right now it's only on PS5, which is nice because it makes full use of like being a PS5 exclusive. It looks beautiful. Next to Demon Souls remake, it's probably one of the best looking video games I've ever played. But what Returnal is, it is a third-person shooter roguelike game and what again for those who don't really know what roguelikes are, they follow that formula of dying as part of the process. It's not like Souls games where it's that punishing, but but it's kind of almost like a loop and you keep like learning different mechanics as you go, keep accruing different items and unlocking different things as you go until you get further and further. It's not quite like leveling up like in Souls games. It's more just learning the mechanics of the game and just acquiring new stuff with each loop. And the way this game justifies it is through the story. Um, Like Aaron, you were saying, it is a kind of tried and true mechanic and story trope and you're right, like, this game really had to nail it, and I do think it, it nails it. I think it's not reinventing the wheel in terms of, like, story beats or anything like that, but I think it's what it's doing, it's doing very well. It's very competently done. The premise, basically, is it follows uh, Celine, who they call as an asterisk scout. It's sometime in the future. It's kind of implied so far through the story that they're, like, what astronauts become in the future, and she follows this signal called the White Shadow Signal to the planet Atropus, and she crash lands there on her entry into the planet like lightning strikes her ship she crash lands comes out of her ship and you start exploring well the first time you're killed you get all these flashes of all these weird cryptic flashback scenes and and all these images and you're not quite sure what they mean and then she wakes back up either in her ship or outside the ship and you start exploring the planet more and more and she finds herself trapped in this time loop or really in this case more of like a death loop every time she dies she starts back at the ship and the planet kind of changes like it becomes randomly generated yeah a lot of the horror elements come out in when you're dealing with certain enemies i will say it is more action focused and more psychological thriller maybe along the lines of 2001 space odyssey but i still would count this as a horror game but the horror is very psychological and dread inducing rather than jump scares and the horror kind of really comes out like when you discover past dead bodies of selene and you like pick up their logs and you listen to the logs and like yeah some of the selenes have gone crazy some of the selenes have given up some of the selenes like give you more information about what's going on but the true horror comes out of the game and actually the boss fights the boss fights are like kind of cosmic cthulhu like space cthulhu and that's where really like the horror design of enemies really shines in the boss fights and i've only seen three bosses so far i think there's a total of five or six in the game and then each time you beat a boss there's a certain part in every randomly generated loop where your old house appeared on the planet you don't know if it's hallucination or the planet fucking with you because the planet in a weird way has like adapted to Celine her past and who she is a per- as a person sure and each time you beat a boss you can go into that house and find out more information and when you go inside the house it switches to first person perspective and then it becomes a lot like pt and re7 that's where the horror really shines because like you hallucinate shit you're hearing noises of like shit that's not there find weird symbols you hear weird reports and phone calls and stuff like that very very pt-esque 
also too just the level design kind of and we'll 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 come back to this when we talk about the movie today especially like the last 15 minutes movie but a lot of the level designs in these games are very like geiger inspired geiger geiger however it's pronounced alien xenomorph Esque. You're finding out that this planet used to have a species that inhabited it that were some kind of sentience, and they've all like went insane and killed themselves. And like, you don't know if it's religious ritualistic murder or like something else killed them, but you find their statues and their dead bodies and their tombs everywhere. So there's a lot of horror elements all over this game to the point where I am safe to call it a horror game, even though it is more action oriented and maybe more thriller psychologically oriented. Sure. Just a quick note myself. I really do not like roguelikes, but I feel like this has a chance to be the first really successful roguelike on a major console. I guess really what I mean is like a more mainstream type game. Um, yeah, this and Hades, because Hades is also a roguelike, I think. Apologies, listeners, I haven't played Hades yet. I know I should. Everyone tells me I should, but... Yeah, I'd agree with you. They are popular, but there hasn't been like a triple A feeling roguelike that at least that I can think of that really has been this well received. And honestly, I think the biggest complaints are just the learning curve, maybe. Aaron, you might find the game frustrating, but I never got frustrated with it, even when I was dying. But like casual players may find it frustrating, just FYI. I still think Souls games are way harder than this game. And this game, I think, is a lot more fair. But, you know, my opinion on that is skewed because I. Tolerance yeah, is my tolerance is a lot higher so but uh, i love returnal i think it's a great game i think it's a good uh horror game as well but that's all i got cool well i've only got a couple things to talk through real quick and uh frankly they're old so everybody is probably already aware of them but i figured i would go ahead and mention them here since i watched these while we were on our hiatus all three of these are brand new hbo max and theater releases so i caught up with godzilla versus kong which is just as dumb and stupid and fun <laughs> as you would expect would you count that as a horror recommendation i mean i would say it's genre adjacent yeah because the kaiju subgenre godzilla big monsters that's all horror adjacent horror sci-fi it was much dumber than i was expecting in some ways like they totally go to the hollow earth tm oh yeah and discover you know there's a whole world of monsters there there was at one point a race of kongs who ruled kong literally discovers like a giant cathedral palace what he has a throne and they make an axe out of a godzilla scale i don't care spoiling this shit because like yeah it's dumb it's goofy it's monkey punch lizard the movie definitely leans heavier on we like godzilla less than kong godzilla is definitely like you know being controlled by some outside force dot 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 why would he be doing all this bad stuff right and the movie definitely leans on kong as our friend but of course just like any versus movie they put aside their initial beef once a bigger threat appears and anybody who's at all familiar with godzilla stuff can probably guess who that is it's mothra isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah it's gotta be right it's fun it was really dumb but the cast is a lot of fun some of the characters are you know eye rolly like brian tyree henry plays a podcaster and he does a <laughs> conspiracy theory podcast but of course he's like literally recording like in the middle of a city falling down around him you know like that kind of dumb shit there's lots of other people who show up that literally anybody could have played this role do we really need this academy award nominated <laughs> actor doing this right but i mean it was fun enough and i guess if you like look at the entirety of 
Warner Brothers modern Godzilla Kong franchise at this point. They're kind of all at that fun, imagine yourself as a 12-year-old watching this and you would fucking love it, right? So that's kind of where I have to like put my mind while I'm watching it. I am an adult. I want more serious fare at times, but then there are times like this where I'm like, no, like this is made for kids. Let me feel like a kid again and watch this fun dumb shit that I would have ate with a spoon when I was a child. Well, the big question is, how are the toy sales? <laughs> I've heard that that's really what matters. Well, funny enough, and this is a weird aside, the pandemic fucked a lot of that up because the toys were all made, shipped, hit shelves, and the movies didn't come out. And that happened for a lot of stuff. That happened for this movie. That happened for Black Widow. That happened for Wonder Woman. That happened for so many massive movies that were supposed to come out last summer. Right. And then didn't. Did the toys also, like, spoil shit? Yeah, that's part of the reason why everybody knew. I guess I'll say it. Mechagodzilla shows up at the end, and that's what they have to fight. You know, that's how everybody knew immediately. Like, oh, they're going to fight Mechagodzilla because the toy was out a fucking year ago, right? (laughs) Anyway, so watch that. Heather and I had a date night, and we went to the theater for the first time since getting, like, fully vaxxed, and we saw Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You saw that, too, actually. Yep. Not only, like, was the last movie that I saw in theaters before the pandemic a disappointment, which was Rise of Skywalker, the first movie that we saw coming back from the pandemic was also just (laughs) ridiculous trash. is so bad but heather was all about it because she's a video game nerd and grew up with video games and so she was all about yeah mortal Kombat nostalgia why not and i just wanted to see it out of curiosity for the fuck's sake of oh this is a kung fu movie with lots of gore let's do it i haven't heard good things about it at all (laughs) oh it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous the acting in it is not the best the special effects are at times good and at times really laughable you know for a video game franchise that is literally designed around we're going to get all the best fighters together for a fighting tournament there's no fighting tournament in the movie that happens (laughs) (laughs) but you know it it was interesting enough to see like a lot of character actors show up and like oh Hiroyuki Sonata's in this as like one of the main characters the hell okay sure and now he's about to be in John Wick 4 but it was ridiculous and it was certainly gory in exactly the ways that you would kind of expect from a Mortal Kombat game so you know it did well and I could see them they're gonna make a sequel there's no doubt about that they like tease you know what the sequel could have in it in the movie so we'll see in another year or two i'm sure they will make another one and then the last thing that i will bring up for now which i kind of mentioned on the last episode i was prepping for um i watched the new conjuring movie the devil made me do it and it's fine i have never and I, I know I might have mentioned some of this in the last one, so I'm probably repeating myself, but The Conjuring movies I appreciate from a filmmaking standpoint. I think they are well-directed and well-made movies. They look good. The acting and the performances are generally always good. Where it falls apart for me is I don't think they are particularly scary. They are trying really, really, really aggressively hard to be scary, but I don't necessarily think that they're scary at all. Well, you have, like, the tolerance of a fucking stone for horror, so I'm sure I'm taking your sure. sh- I'm taking that with a grain of salt. Sure. <laughs> but pretty much all the scares in those movies is just somebody walking around, no audio in the mix, and then they turn around, and there's, like, a creepy person standing on furniture in the corner going, ah. 
And yep. then it cuts away and there's a loud noise. Like it's just a lot of those kind of jump scares. It's also difficult for me to be totally bought in on the Warrens as the central characters as well, because in real life they were awful people. They were frauds and con artists and they grifted a lot of people and fucked up a lot of people's lives. And then these movies are like supernatural warriors. Yes, totally. Like bending over backward to make them like these righteous fighting the evil people, especially in this one. Dear God, especially in this one. The like church propaganda, anti-Satan bullshit is so strong in this one. It's kind of wild, but this one's not directed by James Wan, which that was kind of a immediately noticeable that that level of like filmmaking technician that he is is absent from this movie and it just it was kind of a weird way that the story was paced out where it kind of goes in this whole one direction and it's building up to like what the marketing lays out for you for what this movie is going to be about and then it kind of takes a totally different direction that's just not as interesting so I don't know like it was fine Again, I'm sure there will be another because it was very successful. We'll see. Dot, dot, dot. But I'm glad that those movies exist. Like, I'm glad that that entire franchise exists, that studios are, like, taking chances on big-budget horror movies. And I say big-budget. These movies are not big-budget at all. Imagine, like, what could be if they actually got 30 40 $50 million budgets, right? But the fact that a big studio is still paying attention to horror is what I care about, I guess. They feel like big releases. Yes, so. they, they they are. They're pumped up. They have big marketing behind them. They become events. It's Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and Fast and Furious movies now. It's literally just, cool, we're going to go see the new Conjuring movie. Even if it's not a Conjuring movie, even if it's like an Annabelle or a Nun or a La Llorona or whatever, it's we're going to go see the new Conjuring movie. So it's kind of become a known brand at this point, which, you know, we haven't really had that in horror for a while since maybe Saw. Saw. And same thing, you know, Spiral came out and I was like, oh, this is the new Saw movie. Nobody knew what Spiral was and it literally just became like, okay, no, we have to specify this is a Saw movie to go see it. You know, this is a Saw movie. If you like those, come see it. Yeah, because I want to say like, I remember a couple years ago, the newer Blair Witch had come out or like the reboot. Yeah. But they made no effort to like say this is Blair Witch until like people were in the theaters and like it was a surprise. And then I heard nothing about it after that. (laughs) They did that at Comic-Con. Yeah. They did that at Comic-Con where they... They like, you know, said, okay, cool. We have the new Adam Wingard movie and they played it. And then it was like, oh, it's Blair Witch. Yeah. But in theaters, everybody knew what it was by that point. Yeah. But that movie just kind of came and went. Like, I don't remember anything about it. It also had basically nothing to do with the original Blair Witch movie. And that's all I'll really say about it. Unless you want to go like read and spoil for yourself. But it's a very strange, let's pick up and continue this story kind of sequel. Gotcha. While you're on The Conjuring, though, okay. potential for hot takes, which franchise do you prefer, Aaron, Conjuring or Insidious? Because those two kind of seem to always, in my mind, those two are like almost like parallel to each other, it feels like. Okay, so you're asking me to choose between the Insidious movies and the Conjuring movies. I think my answer is I choose A24 horror movies. <laughs> um, I don't know. I really like the first Insidious a lot. I think the second Insidious maybe goes way too far into, hey, let's answer all the weirdness from the first movie and explain everything to death to pieces until, like, you know every single detail that's happening. The third and the fourth movie are not good. And then with The Conjuring, like, I appreciate the first two Conjuring movies from a, like, technical level, but 
I've literally not watched either of them since I saw them the first time. The last two Annabelle movies are also fun. I don't know that I would necessarily jump to watch them again anytime soon. I think overall my answer would be I would pick Insidious 1 over all of them, but I think there are more one-off movies that I enjoy more than like any of those, honestly. So, I don't know. They're not necessarily franchises that I'm like dead set on like, oh god, I gotta see every single one because none of them have really lived up to like the first and at least with the conjuring everything in that movie was already highly highly derivative of 30 other movies that have come before it over the last 40 years that you've seen that have maybe done a lot of the different elements of it better so it's a good hodgepodge for like 15 year olds now who have never seen any of those movies right? It's like a good entryway into like, cool, if you like The Conjuring, here's 40 years worth of other Haunted House kind of movies that you should check out. But I would rather go Insidious because the concept in the world is just so weird. Even though those are also fairly derivative movies, I think the concept is a little more interesting to me than just, well, there's demons and sometimes they like haunt a house. Okay. But I mean, you know, both are James Wan. So that's the other thing too. It's weird because we're talking about all these franchises and James Wan literally directed Saw 1, The Conjuring movies, and Insidious 1 and 2. So like, he's had his hand on all those. It's in Patrick Wilson in the first first insidious and in the first two yeah the first two and the conjuring movies so yeah yeah so there's a lot of overlap there which weirdly enough there's a lot of overlap i noticed with all the people who are in this movie that we're about to talk about but yeah that said uh the last thing i would mention is i have actually listened to two audiobooks that i am not going to talk about right now because one of them i think we have decided we are going to maybe cover as our next episode and the other one uh i have reasons for waiting on that will become more apparent but i have two audiobooks that i would definitely recommend and uh, i'll talk about them at a later date okay so yeah that's all i've really got for right now so let's uh let's get into the movie fire in the sky from 1993 directed by robert lieberman how does it think what makes it move Why does it breathe? Questions anyone would ask about a man if they'd never seen one before. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. Cool. So, Evan, we know last time we spoke with you and had you on, we wanted to maybe look at doing some kind of alien UFO-related horror movie. Which, there's not not much of it around, either. No. Exactly. There's not a whole lot. Surprisingly. There's a lot of alien movies that are about aliens coming to kill people but not a lot of movies about the horror of ufo abduction experience 
stuff. Which, again, is so yep. surprising because it seems like ripe for horror. It is, but I think a lot of that is contributed to like the most recent blockbuster, quote-unquote, alien horror movies. Like the one with, uh, what's her name? Resident Evil. Mila Jovovich? I believe that was called The Fourth Kind. Yes. It's just not good, in my opinion. Uh, it capitalizes way too much on kind of like we were talking about with The Conjuring. Like, its scares is reliant on nothing happening and then all of a sudden quick cut loud noise and it's just not the content is not there so they don't make a lot of money at least that's my take on that but if we were going to do or y'all were going to do uh you know the ufo horror this would have been my second choice which is not bad my first choice would have been communion funny you say that because we were going back and forth of like which one we wanted to do yeah we we totally talked about both And, you know, granted, it's been a few years since I've seen Communion, but I remember it being a lot of just Christopher Walken walking around the dark. It is a lot of that, (laughs) but I think, and this is, again, just me and probably because of the experiences that I think I have had, or I guess I should say I have had, whether they were actually alien-related or me just being insane, I don't know. But because of that, I thought that Communion was a more scary movie. Fire in the Sky, to me, is a lot easier to go along with, and until the end, really, is not very scary. It's very good and explores... I think a topic that is not explored enough, but I think communion is a little bit more consistently scary. Although, again, I think that is the best comparison for Fire in the Sky uh, would be to put it up against that. And I think it's hilarious that throughout communion, I think it's more scary, but the ending is kind of hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) And this is the opposite. Fire in the Sky, it's not goofy, but it is uh, not trying to scare you the whole movie until the end. It feels like a 90s thriller, 90s, like, mystery. Yeah. And then the end is, like, a completely different, like... (laughs) Yeah, the end feels like a totally different experience. Um, Although, right there, let me make a note. It's kind of hilarious that the entire first two-thirds of this movie are 100% playing on what happened to Travis. Where is Travis? Do we know what happened to Travis? Did y'all kill Travis? What's going on, right? And that's the mystery is, where is Travis? But literally in the opening credits, it says, based on the book, The Walton Experience by Travis Walton. (laughs) So you know immediately, like, well, he's gonna be be alive. totally gone, because he wrote a fucking book this movie's based on. Yes, and I don't know if this is something, it's probably something y'all are gonna touch on, but also, spoiler the real Travis Walton is in the movie. Yeah. So uh, yeah, him if, and his wife. Actually. Yeah. If yeah. you looked at that and now you probably will because it's such an old movie. And if you're looking at it, it's probably because oh, these guys suggested it kind of thing. Hey, and you know what? I'll tell you the scene they they cameo in. They're in the church like during yep. that town meeting when the town's like yep. trying to decide what to do with the guys and where's Travis? Is he dead? Whatever. So like kind of on that point, um, one of the things that I've heard about this specifically from some people or have read and I've heard it from some people like who have argued whether or not fire in the sky is a horror movie i think us three would agree that it's all a horror movie but something that people say is nothing happens until the end and the end is great the abduction scenes are fantastic but there's not enough of that honestly though and i mentioned this just earlier the first hour of the movie does feel like a solid thriller slash mystery yeah. And well, whether or not it, that's spooky, there is a lot of setup in those mystery aspects that do make it still feel like a horror movie. Yeah. The horror comes from trying to put you in the 
thought process of what if this happened to you and how you are justifying it in your mind. Yeah. And even like, what if it happened to your friend right. and you abandoned your friend? Right. And I, then you like... You, that is you what they're exploring. An if you eliminate everything else, which is kind of the process they go through, and you have to ex- accept that maybe it's not aliens, but it's something we don't know. How are you going to deal with that in your psyche? Which I think is really yeah. pretty scary when you think about it on a deeper level. Like, how the hell would I respond to that? And, and it's the backdrop of a small town out in the country. In this case, yeah. wh- where is it located again? Like, which town is this? It's supposed to be in Snowflake, Arizona. That's but they yeah. shot the movie in Oregon. Yeah, but yeah. it's a it does not have a Arizona look. In no, the it, it's, it's very hilly and like full of yeah. forests. And, um, yeah. Although, from what I know about the real story, it was in Arizona and they were actually logging, which I find funny. That, because that part of Arizona is exactly like what the movie looks really? like, I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. We'll get more into that in a minute because I, I watched another documentary that I'll talk about in a moment. But no, it, I mean, our friend Garrett lives out there. He'll tell you like Arizona has a lot of trees. Arizona has a lot of foresty parts because you got to also remember elevation wise it's hella high up in the mountains and there are patches of actual forest and snow and that kind of stuff it's not just all desert but uh, one of my favorite parts of this movie is that first 20 minutes where like they all come to the diner shell-shocked yeah and like that whole diner felt very noir-y even a little bit it's a good set like country noir yeah and like that did feel like it had enough horror elements to be like what the hell is going on and then like at least right up to the abduction they show like the fire in the sky they show the beam of light hit trap and like while it's not necessarily like scary on screen there is a lot of on-screen horror there at least like or elements of horror it's still unsettling yeah Yeah, and i think to evan's point you know evan was talking about the internal factor of you dealing with your own reckoning of did i actually see this am i crazy what is going on with me did i actually experience this or is it something more right externally another horror angle is just dealing with that in your actual day-to-day life now and the reality that you have opened that pandora's box for yourself and literally all your friends and neighbors and your boss and your co-workers and anybody that you see day-to-day is always in the back of their heads gonna be like you saw an alien one time yeah you saw a spaceship you claimed that all this shit happened can i really take any of your judgment seriously yeah you're tainted yeah, can I trust that you are on the level? Yeah. You know, and just we see Mike's wife dealing with crank callers constantly and the harassment from the journalists and just all the like looky loo townspeople and all the out of town UFO nut people. Just the day to day like nightmare that your fucking life turns into from like a social standpoint. Again, it's not like overt horror with a giant, right. you know, H, but it's real life nightmare pain in the ass kind of stuff that you can't necessarily escape from that point that anxiety gets cranked up even more when travis does reappear yeah because then you have travis who has trauma like if this happened in reality or something happened to him where he disappeared for these five days and came back regardless of if it was aliens or not there was some type of trauma that left him speechless and like having to be hospitalized and all that and then all the attention that was on your friends all these people who are asking him for either information about ufos or murder or both or whatever is now like all torpedoed on you yeah and in the case of this movie, like, they do treat it that, like, yes, this was aliens. So, like, you had these aliens just totally mindfuck you, and then you come out of that traumatized, and then just everyone's swearing at you, even to the point where, like, friends and family who think they're 
you're doing something that will help you, like throwing a surprise return home party, reduces you to being in the corner, like, traumatized. Yep. Yeah. A really cool aspect, and it was not on purpose, I don't think, I think it's just a sign of the times, is once Travis gets back, even though it is pretty much towards the end of the movie, there are so many times where you're like, okay, that's the last thing I would do to someone who is telling me that he's been abducted by aliens for the last five days. And they pretty much keep making his life worse. Yeah. Um, Even to the point where, like, the alien people... So the thing that I could not believe they did this, like, they find Travis, and who are the first people they call? Not the sheriffs to, like, so vouch for them, like, hey, we didn't murder our friend. Not the EMTs, even though he's, like, obviously, like, yeah, traumatized. Shaking and shaking. Uh, they call the fucking... <laughs> And, I mean, they call them something else in the movie, but they're basically MUFON investigators. Yes, yeah. These chuckle fucks arrive, and they're like, give us a urine sample, Travis, tell us. And, like, they're being demanding, and the dude is in shock. Like, he is shell-shocked. Yeah, cold, wet, naked. Yes, and they have him trapped in, like, a bathroom, a gas, and there's, like, seven gas people. Station and they're bathroom. like, tell us what you yeah. saw, Travis. And like, he's just like, oh, my God. But that's not just the MUFON people's fault. Like, that's his sister and all his friends' oh, fault. Oh, yeah, Like, absolutely. what the fuck and, like, are y'all doing? As much as I take Mike's side in most of the movie, he was trying to do the right thing, and he thought, man, this dude told me he's an expert, so he should be able to help. But Mike's in there even after, like, clearly this isn't going right, and he's like, shut up, let them do their job! And they just continue jamming a microphone down Travis's throat. Yeah, That's another part, honestly, for me, that was like, man, that would probably happen, even today, and it's just such not the way to handle it that it's crazy. You know, you put yourself in that situation. That's the last thing I want if I well, experience something like that. For some real-life shit, too, one of the scariest images in this movie and we'll talk scary imagery and stuff like that but one of them it was right before they show the actual abduction scenes when he disappears during the party and I think it's his wife or his sister is looking for him and she finds him in the kitchen because no one's in the kitchen and he's not only in the corner he is underneath a table in a ball shaking and crying that level of anxiety which Evan maybe you've been there before I've been there before before I was like diagnosed with any kind of anxiety disorders i've gotten to that level of anxiety and that was a grim reminder of what trauma and mental illness can do to somebody and that was honestly regardless of the abduction stuff which is pretty horrifying that image of him just under the table like shaking and crying was like fuck yeah that is a fate that i would not wish on anyone nope well again going back to the like if something like this was to happen to you it's scary how people react once that happens all of his close family members and friends come in and his brother in the movie is like one of his biggest advocates like man if you don't tell me where travis is i'm gonna fuck you up and all this stuff and when he comes back he's like oh man i got my bro back well he sees travis in the state and like he just silently shakes his head like he's disappointed you see one of his biggest allies supposedly just being like super shitty and disappointing yeah. uh, and it's just like man again what if that happened? What if the people that were closest to me weren't supportive, but also looked down on me for what I went through? So you want to hear something real shitty? The documentary that I watched, I guess I'll just go ahead and bring it up now and I'll talk about it a little bit more later. This was literally something that auto-played after I watched the movie on Amazon. And it's a documentary called Travis, the true story of Travis Walton. And it's all interviews with the actual people and it's like showing the actual site and all that kind of thing one of the guys i think it was steve specifically was talking about how his younger brother who is well off he's like a college professor genius smart ass dude that teaches in new york since all of that happened his younger brother's always been like so wait if aliens are real if this actually happened why would aliens go to you a like 
blue collar redneck and your blue collar redneck yuck yuck friends and not come to someone like me who is smart and educated (laughs) and knows more of what's going on and he was just talking about how like i never understood how my brother could be that much of a dick to me right (laughs) yeah we didn't ask for this to happen we don't know why it happened it happened we don't know what to fucking say to explain it that's such a shitty way to look at it like oh just because i'm not one of the like you know world elites there's a reason for them to come talk to me because i am you know so and so so and so and i know all this other stuff like of course aliens would want to talk to me why would they come talk to you right like that's just such a weird shitty way to look at it yeah and especially when like one of your friends was basically like mind body soul rape yeah for five days <laughs> and like it ruined their lives even if it like, wasn't aliens something happened to the something happened right but uh well and, and i do think like the movie even takes that point and throws it on the fucking ground and in the trash where it belongs even in the beginning of the movie before it starts it has that quote where it says chance makes a plaything of a man's life and i think in this case exactly this was a chance encounter from what i know of the real life account and from this movie this was a chance encounter it was just a random thing and travis yeah he kind of like got out of the truck on his own and that's what might have caused all this but still that's like just such a random event to happen that could happen to anybody and in this case it just happened to a logger something else kind of going back to like just all that trauma and whether or not people actually believe you and like can you sit be safe saying this to people that you think you love and can trust without like judgment and all that i can't remember if it was last podcast or a different podcast i was listening to but they made a good point when they were talking about alien abductions that something is happening whether it's aliens or not this is happening to a lot of people because there's so many accounts it could all even just be like a mental thing like maybe a mental illness of some kind or a different or a symptom that we don't recognize or know about but some kind of traumatic thing is happening to people and instead of trying to at least figure out like how to help them a lot of times it was met with judgment and like laughing and unfortunately you do have like a lot of con artists in the ufo world that either take advantage or lie or whatever and you know whether or not travis is one of those people i don't know but there are like some interesting things surrounding this case in reality uh, just the fact that a lot of the people in this group really didn't want to do anything with the story they wanted to be just left the fuck alone after this happened and not make money off it that's kind of the thing about all these in general like i am very much a skeptic i don't necessarily know that i believe in like extraterrestrial alien blah 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 but something is happening in a lot of these instances travis disappeared for a few days they have an explanation of it but regardless of is this mental health is this drugs he was also like physically fucked up Mm -hmm. in really weird kind of unexplainable ways and that is the case for a lot lot of of these situations where like you didn't just come out with a weird story you came out with actual physical trauma that you can't necessarily explain that in many cases was actually done by tools or instruments and not just oops i like had a bad trip and ran through the woods and got knocked in the eye by like a branch like to the point where they're finding like little metal objects and people in weird locations like behind the ear and all that kind of stuff man i am like vibrating right now with how much alien knowledge i have and i can't share it all um (laughs) yeah because you've been fascinated by this stuff so the three things that have been like in my mind to say 
First is, in real life, in reality, most of the majority of credible documented cases of alien abduction happen to people who live rural lifestyles, farmers. And that's not just to talk about farmers in the United States. Uh, it happens a lot to people who have farmers and ranches in Mexico and in Europe, not to disclude the uh, whole crop circle phenomenon. And for some reason, it seems like whatever this thing is does center on people who work outside with their hands and with the environment. So I think there's a lot to be said with that fact. Also, the idea of disappearing, something happened, obviously something that is not normal, and we don't know what it is, really ties in well with a whole other phenomenon that is worth looking into and is pretty much horror in real life when you uh, start digging into it, and it's called the Missing 411 yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. phenomenon, and it is... And National Park right? Yeah, and it's all over. The first discovery of this was in national parks. The guy that does most of the research, or kind of has led the charge, his name is David Pilates. He is a ex-cop and he was a missing persons cop. Well, when he retired, one of his friends who was a park ranger was like, dude, I really think there's something going on. Here is a list of people who have gone missing just since I have been working in this one national park. So he starts investigating and basically finds out that no federal national park keeps official records of who disappears, when they disappear, or any of the information. Well, and the really creepy thing about that, because this is not actually, like, this is not like a supernatural conspiracy. Like, this is a yes. thing that's actually happened sometimes they'll find no trace of the people sometimes they'll just find like their shoes in really weird odd places even if they were trapped in the wild there was absolutely no way they or an animal could drag them up this mountainside they'll find like weird pieces of clothing like years later yep. like that kind of stuff and it has been kind of tied with abduction in, in some ways just one of those things of like people just don't know what the fuck's going on so yeah something's they, happening yeah uh and it seems like it happens when you're by yourself or a small group of people, you know, in Mother Nature somewhere. The only thing... But only in national parks, too, which is weird. Like, well, it happens mostly in, in, in mostly parks, national yeah. parks. And through his research, he's done thousands and thousands of cases. And the one constant he's found is that no one has ever gone missing under these circumstances that has had a gun and a GPS locator. Meaning, if they get lost, they can hit a button and it will send coordinates out to the authorities. Right. Sure. Or just something that's tracking in general, yeah. Correct. People have gone missing with guns, and they find the gun just by themselves, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> and people have gone missing with GPS trackers. But anyone who has both, he has never documented a case where someone who has both of those items has gone missing, which is bizarre. I don't know. It's just one of those things. So that's a whole other episode. But Yeah, the um, Greys haven't figured out yeah. gun Guns, my only weakness. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to mention that because it is crazy, and it's real, and I think it's worth checking out if you've never heard well, of it. Well, and on top of all that, we chose an interesting time to do this episode. A, because the timing with you coming to visit me was uh, worked well, but yep. just with how much disclosure has happened in the last year or two, which I fucking love, just how insane the last four years and everything with COVID is. Like, the government multiple times has come out and been like, yeah, UFOs exist, guys. Here's all the footage we have of UFOs. We yeah. even yep. don't know what the fuck's actually going on, and no one gives a shit. Yep. Like. So let me, one more thing, and then I'll get off my alien hiatus if I can. One of my favorite sayings about any conspiracy, but mostly targeted to uh, UFOs and, and that experience, it applies so much now to what is happening with disclosure, is the truth goes through three stages. First, it is vehemently opposed. People do not accept whatever it is you're saying as the truth. They think it's ridiculous. The second stage is they ridicule it. 
oh yeah you think that and it's hilarious that you think that you're insane basically and then after that it's accepted as yeah of course that's always been the case and i really feel like that's what we're seeing now for so long people have denied that something else exists and then it was like oh you're crazy you're a crackpot if you know you think you've had experiences with this and now it is so commonplace people are like yeah it's an alien what what's the problem of course <laughs> aliens no exist. one cares yeah <laughs> kind of going back to like the other point that i was gonna make and something that y'all kind of mentioned a second ago there are always con artists and this kind of thing there always are you know there's always somebody that's looking to exploit this situation but let's be real none of these people wanted this yeah. ever that's so 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 rarely the case that somebody has an experience and whether it is ufo related or alien abduction related or let's just even say like ghost or like Bigfoot. demon possession related or like anything yeah bigfoot like anything that's some other extra human entity thing that they experience that they can't explain and they don't necessarily know how to parse that 99% of the time it's like just some regular person who was like I didn't believe in any of this shit but I don't know what to tell you now and I wish I could fucking take it out of my head yep yeah there's real trauma <laughs> yeah. yeah that was one thing I kind of rolled my eyes at a little bit on that documentary that I watched was they're talking to Ben Hansen who's from paranormal ghost hunters or whatever on sci-fi channel <laughs> and you know he was like well I've had yeah three experiences of unidentified flying uh, phenomena and and, um, you know, would I call them aliens? I don't know. I don't know, bro. <laughs> That's one of those things like, well, you get paid to, like, find these yes. things. You get paid to, like, have these experiences. So, sure, you say you have three, but I doubt the veracity of that. Because you are literally functionally being paid to do this. I would believe it more if my fucking third grade teacher, who is, like, a totally normal person, was just all of a sudden one day like, oh, yeah, no, her car got fucked up. She ran off the road. They found her two days later in the woods, weird body trauma, and she says she was abducted and can't explain it. I would trust that more than, like, somebody who is already a paranormal nut of some kind. His experiences are probably drones anyway. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I would trust it more from somebody who has nothing to gain from it and somebody who literally is like, my life is fucked up now. Thanks a lot. Fate, whatever we want to chalk it up to. To, and I wish I could undo all of it. You know what I mean? And that's that's the striking thing about so much of this is just everybody is like, I wish I could go back and like all this was undone. Yeah. When I first told my class at the basically end of the year that I was abducted, uh, it didn't go that way, which is weird. I thought they would all be understandable and respectful. But um, oh, yeah, I'm sure some of them never talked to me again. So. Yeah, I mean, I think with all that, we've kind of made it clear what the horrors of this movie are. Right. I will say it does seem like, to me at least, and my, like, our, well, really, all three of us, our bubble of, like, listening to enough podcasts that deal with conspiracy theory and stuff like that for fun, um, regardless of if we believe in it or not. I hope with, like, all this disclosure that maybe abduction can at least, I don't know if it'll be ever looked at from a serious scientific standpoint, although I wish it would be, because I do think even if it's not aliens or actual abduction, it's still, like, so 
something going on mentally, but at least I'm hoping it'll be less laughed at because like all of us have said, this seems to ruin people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it won't. Even when the actual official disclosure comes out, we're screwed because Eisenhower signed a treaty with the aliens in 1950 <laughs> yeah. uh, to allow them to do as much research on humans as they wanted as long as they didn't conquer the United States. So. Yeah. That's how we got Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, yeah. yeah. You see this iPhone in my hand? Yeah. You can thank well, the Grays for that. I mean, how do we go from 1962, we can't even get a rocket in the air to all of a sudden <laughs> we're on saying. the moon and we have iPhones? I hate, uh, I honestly really hate that argument because it's the same argument that people make all the time when they're like, do we really expect all these brown people in Africa to have built these pyramids thousands of years ago? <laughs> Come on. Uh, do a little bit more than like two seconds of research and you'll kind of figure out they had a lot of the basic shit down to like build a giant stack of blocks. Like, don't twist it but, that hard, you know? Math wasn't invented, Aaron. Yeah. How did they do it? It's easy for <laughs> us to like look back on history and be like, bunch of idiots, but like it took us thousands of years to get to where we are. Yeah, that's the aggravating thing is like in some ways you do look back on ancient history and you're like, god damn it, bunch of fucking morons. But at the time they did some impressive shit. Yeah, you're like, oh, Black Plague is murdering thousands of people across Europe. Just take a bath, you fucking dunces. <laughs> yep. But I mean, uh, ancient architecture is impressive as fuck. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And- in fact, a few years ago, they just made a major discovery in some of the, I think it was Mayan, it was either Aztec or Mayan ruins that no one had ever known before. And they found it by doing a ground penetrating radar from a helicopter. Yeah. All of the major pyramid sites are linked by an underwater aquifer that at some point they made, uh, which is like an engineering feat that we could barely do now. Well, and you know what the funny thing about that? is it took us a helicopter and all its technology to discover that and they fucking did that like yep hundreds Uh, of years ago so it's crazy and again that's another thing that i don't really have a problem believing that people before us were smart and they did this stuff and kind of makes us look bad and they also had thousands of workers and nothing better to do right exactly (laughs) they didn't have streaming yeah yeah they didn't have video games to occupy their time it was like well i guess i'm gonna make thousands of bricks out of mud today because what the fuck else is there to do in the desert yeah no shit yeah if we didn't have xbox and playstation we probably would have made some cool stuff already but we haven't yeah Oh, well. (laughs) But as far as the technical stuff behind this movie, one thing that does kind of gripe me a little bit, I guess, you know, and this is going back to some of the stuff we mentioned earlier, but also the idea of revisionist history that we were just discussing. So this movie, like we've talked about, is mostly known for the abduction experience that you finally see at the end. You know, the entire movie kind of builds up to what happened to Travis. Travis, and then when Travis shows back up, you know, he's trying to reintegrate himself into life. It is a nice payoff because it is like a short film. Yeah. Like it's like a short horror yeah. film in a movie. Yeah. That entire sequence with him on the alien ship and his experience there is fucking disturbing. But unfortunately, what does kind of suck a little bit of the air out of the room is knowing, oh, they specifically, and I say they, the studio executives specifically wanted the writer to juice that scene up a 
little bit. Yeah, they like because that's not his experience. Yeah, his actual experience was a lot more mundane. Yeah, yeah they called it boring. I, I saw I did a little yeah. research on like the production. Studio executives like Walton told them like his experience and they found his experience boring. Yeah. Yeah. If you read his experience, like, yeah, it's not like him floating around a ship and finding dead humans that they've farmed their essence or whatever. Yeah. But it is like interesting, like, you know, he is on this table. There are these like humanoid creatures coming at him and Yeah, that's really cool, know. Travis. But how many times were you probed? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like so you could just tell like the board meeting of like the production of this movie and those fucking executives are yeah. like, this is boring. We can't yeah. sell this. And it goes back to what I was saying a second ago that the people who would actually be coming forward to talk about this genuinely believe what they experience enough to talk about despite knowing that like my life is gonna be fucked from here on out. And knowing that oh all the alien shit that you actually end up seeing in this movie is kind of juiced by the writer Tracy Torme who when you look at his IMDB it's basically exclusively alien and paranormal shit it's UFO cover-up colon live (laughs) intruders sliders the outer limits and a bunch of tng so the fact that this is an alien experience imagined by a person who is already obsessed with the idea of aliens is gonna have a little bit more of a slant right may as well be fucking x-files okay yeah on that note it's crazy how many fucking people involved with this movie went on to be on various x-files episodes i mean shit robert patrick was one of the leads of x-files for like the last two or three seasons of the show he played Doggett so like everybody involved in this kind of went on to be in X-Files to some degree or another but I think it's the difference in like looking at Travis Walton's actual experience may not be that Hollywood but it's maybe more uncanny in some ways because his actual experience was oh yeah I woke up on a table I thought I was in the hospital because of the bright lights there were aliens they looked like aliens. They were doing something to me. Freaked out, got off the table, picked up something nearby to use as a weapon, and they just kind of all backed away and left the room. And then they sent in, like, a human woman. Exactly. Yeah. And then they, like, sent in a human man with a helmet on, which, you know, may be, like, an extraterrestrial in human form to be more appealing to him and, like, not freak him out as hard. Walked him out into another room with three or four other human-looking people. Yeah. They showed him a couple of other ships and then they were just like okay cool bye and like dumped him right those are actually just robots the human looking aliens sure yeah they're made by grays yeah Yeah. they're made by grays yep i we know this all from our (laughs) coast to coast and podcast but yeah ultimately like you know he says he experienced maybe two hours worth of time and then in reality it was like five days worth whatever so that that is one of the creepiest part of like going just going back to the abduction experience real quick that we didn't touch on the passage of time yeah so many so many have weird missing time yeah you think like an hour or two pass and you wake up three days later two miles down the road naked yep for no reason yeah like and you can't explain it so that's maybe one of the disingenuous things about the movie is the experience is played up more for horror and that's kind of disappointing knowing that that's the main thing everybody really takes away from this movie and remembers is that scene and it's completely fictionalized through the hollywood lens yeah yeah and to the hollywood's lens which oftentimes they really fuck things up but in this case it really does pay off totally i do think these scenes are from a hollywood standpoint a movie making standpoint they are really impressive it's disingenuous but it works better because if you had done just his original experience as is Uh, you know this is one of those times i would 
side with studio execs and i would say it might have been kind of boring you know i think you would really have to play up the uncanny nature of it and you know we talk about david lynch a lot yeah just you and i are both fucking obsessed with david lynch it is what it is but think about the uncanniness of so many of the like black lodge scenes in twin peaks right or certain scenes in like mulholland drive where there is just a weird dread under the surface because you're watching somebody that looks like a person act and behave and speak in a way that is familiar but off yeah like backwards or whatever yeah 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 or or just like not in sync or there's just a weird delivery or their like physical motions don't match up with what they're doing like i think you could certainly film everything in his experience to a t and really play up the uncanny factor to create a sense of dread and not just have it be boring so on that note what if they did and they would never do this and i don't think they're gonna do it now but what if they had lieberman like direct the whole movie and then brought in a second director to shoot the actual abduction scene because it's so different and you get like a david lynch or another director like that who can really get that uncanny valley kind of well and i think it's such a hard thing to capture it is on film yeah because a lot of the horror from that like i've always been interested in the whole phenomenon but i still get freaked out genuinely when i hear new stories about different things that happened that i have not heard about before in people's experiences because you really have to put yourself in their shoes yeah and imagine if this was happening to me right now i would be losing my shit but it's hard to get that feeling when you're watching someone else do it yeah um as opposed to kind of living that moment so it is tricky and i understand why hey we got to spice this up spice it up a little Um, bit But it is kind of shitty knowing this whole movie was pretty much an attempt to like, yeah, make money, but get his story out there and make it mainstream. And the fact that they did that was kind of like, it becomes more of a money-making thing than it is trying to tell people what happened to him. Yeah. And I mean, but something worked because like even uh, I read an interesting factoid that Anne Rice, author of like Interview with the Vampire fame and all that, she found at the time that this was the scariest movie she had seen, which is interesting that this writer of vampires and demons and, and ghosts and stuff is like aliens fuck that yeah (laughs) also yeah i told derek earlier it was kind of hard for me throughout the majority of the movie and the thriller aspect to like get scared one a little bit because i know what happens in like the story but two because mike travis's best friend is the uh, liquid terminator yeah so i felt like nothing could actually hurt him the entire time and i was like why is he messing around he could kill these bitch-ass aliens right now let's get into that like like, yeah this is a rare example of robert patrick playing a non-villain character yeah Yeah. and it's great i really enjoyed it no he's very good he does a good job in this movie so yeah like let's let's talk about that like with so like lieberman's credits as well as like the actors in this movie so lieberman is mostly a tv guy he's done a lot of tv a lot of direct-to-video stuff the one movie i like specifically made note of is a d3 the mighty ducks oh dude that might be the best one honestly (laughs) (laughs) yeah otherwise as far as the rest of the cast goes travis walton specifically is played by db sweeney yeah he was in power eight men out memphis bell the cutting edge spawn hardball miracle at saint anna taken to chirac and sharp objects most recently robert patrick who's kind of the main character i would really say because obviously travis is not present 
present in like most of the first two thirds of the movie. Although Sweeney is top build in this movie, I think, which yeah. is funny. Yeah, he was, but definitely uh, Patrick is Patrick like, is yeah. yeah. And yeah. it is wild because this was after Terminator Two. Was it? I didn't realize. Oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. T two was a uh, ninety one, and this was ninety three. So it's wild that Robert Patrick is not first build. Right. Yeah. yeah. That is wild. And obviously he yeah Die Hard Two, Terminator Two, Wayne's World, Striptease, Rosewood, Copland, The Faculty, X Files, Walk the Line, lots and lots of TV stuff over the last couple of years. Peter Berg who played oh, no, no. David. Back up a second. You missed the most important film he's been in, The Marine, with oh, John God. Cena. He Hell was the yeah. bad guy in the Marine. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, one other link. Both DB Sweeney and Robert Patrick did voice work on the Avatar cartoons. Nice. DB Sweeney played adult Aang in Legend of Korra. Okay. And cool. Robert Patrick was the voice of Pian Dao, which I don't remember who that character is in uh, Avatar Last Airbender. That's got to be like as much of a recurring thing I'm discovering as are like Batman the Animated Series voices. Like so many fucking people did voices in the Avatar cartoons. Yeah, they did. Peter Berg is David. He's kind of the more reserved, you know, square church guy with the glasses of the friends. He was in Miracle Mile, Shocker, The Last Seduction, personal favorite heavyweights. He is also in Copland. He was in Collateral. He is mostly known as a director now, though. He did very bad things. Friday Night Lights, The Kingdom, Hancock, Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day. And at one point in time in the like late aughts, he was actually lined up to do a remake of Dune. Ugh. Interesting. Would have been interesting coming from him because he seems to be a very like oorah blue collar. I don't know if it'd be good, but it would have been interesting. That movie, that yeah. story will never be a good movie. And then I know the new movies, everyone's like, oh my God, it's finally going to be a good Dune movie. It's not. It's not. Aaron, it's not going to be You're good. breaking Aaron's heart It's right not going to be good. I'm, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I don't think it's going to be a good adaptation, but I think it's going to be a good movie. Let's put it that way. We'll see. That story is way too fucking weird and yes to like ever adapt but i think the movie itself will be fine it was really funny earlier this year one of my students who is a 10th grader she was like man have you heard about this new love story dune and she was proposing <laughs> it to me like it was going to be a rom-com and i was like awesome you know it's about sandworms oh, you need you need to just play yeah it's a rom-com yeah. go see it yeah <laughs> so that was awesome melt her brain yeah <laughs> that's what i'm excited about though all these timothy chalamet and zendaya fans are going to go to this fucking yeah. movie because they're the hot teen stars i say hot teen and they're like almost 30 yeah, yeah they're like <laughs> our age almost. they are like the hot young stars so all these high schoolers are gonna go see this movie and it's gonna be like all about fucking like the spice melange let the spice yeah like flip. you know fear is the mind killer and the fucking coming jihad yeah that's all i need is more kids spicing and not vaping <laughs> yeah next guy in the crew is greg played by henry thomas who most famously was in et before this uh so this is his second alien related movie he was also in cloak and dagger the quest psycho 4 legends of the fall again several movies have had at least two if not three of these cast guys in it and it's weird because all of these guys that are in this cast hollywood tried to make them into leading men and it didn't happen yep every single one of these guys yep. right yeah henry thomas legends of the fall gangs of new york dead birds ouija origin of evil which is the second of the ouija 
of movies. It is directed by Mike Flanagan, and it's actually really fucking good. I've heard it as, as, as far as like that franchise go or those movies yeah. go, and it is. And again, sticking with Mike Flanagan, he also was in Gerald's Game, The Haunting of Hill House, and Haunting of Bly Manor, and in Doctor Sleep. The last guy, the like troublemaker dude, Dallas on the crew, they showed the real life guy in that documentary. And you know how in this movie, Craig Sheffer is made up to just look kind of like, you know, white trashy with his long greasy hair and his little mustache and his cap teeth and everything. The real life guy looks like a fucking leprechaun. (laughs) (laughs) They specifically said he had red hair and he just had curly sticking out red hair and like a chin beard. You know, he, he totally look different but anyway yeah craig sheffer uh was in voyage of the rock aliens some kind of wonderful night breed which is a favorite of mine that we will definitely do on the show a river runs through it and hellraiser inferno which that's the fifth time that that movie's come up because of scott derrickson we keep circling back around to that one in weird ways so funny thing about craig Schaefer. two more factoids i looked up about him with this movie he shares a birth date with Travis Walton. Huh. Uh, they were okay. both born on April 23rd. But the one that I thought was funny is that he was apparently almost fired from this movie because apparently he was a pain in the ass to he's work with. asshole, yeah. That's all I've ever heard about him is that he's a jerk. He would show up late, piss off like the cast and the crew. Lieberman himself thought he just, was his real life role. self was so much <laughs> the same as Dallas in this movie. He's like, well, I gotta keep him because he like, he is that guy. <laughs> Method. Throughout man. the movie, I found yeah. myself, he might just be really acting this part well, but I bet this guy's an asshole in yeah life. <laughs> like yeah no apparently he was a pain in the ass to work with on set and then the last person i would mention as far as the cast goes is james garner who plays frank waters who's the like out of town detective skeptic guy that kind of comes in to poke holes and all this and yeah. he's been in like he had he's a, been around forever yeah dude legendary career. yeah and he's actually really good in this yeah he um is. yeah well and another thing i thought was interesting with like all this is that apparently lieberman didn't want to cast sweeney at all in this role really and that was an executive decision yeah yeah. I thought he did really well. Yeah. This was like a weird instance of the execs being like, no, this is who you're casting, deal with it, or the movie's over. So, I, you know, and I don't know why. Again, it's maybe just one of those, the studio is just trying to make D.B. Sweeney work as a leading man. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know like what the impetus there was, but yeah, that was definitely a studio mandate. And I mean, yeah, he's fine. He's totally fine in this role yeah. in the movie and everything else. So Yeah, and, and despite that, like Lieberman, I'll have to hand it to him because like I was even reading about like how... Even for, like, the alien abduction scenes themselves, he kind of put all that together, like, after, like, having dreams of it yeah. over, like, the shooting process. And those those scenes, even though they're dramatized for Hollywood and spiced up, like, they are, again, we keep coming back to it, they are impressive. Like, that's where the horror yeah. of this movie really sits. Other thing I'll say on that note right there, one, ILM did all those special effects, but the director of photography for this is Bill Pope. And he is most well known for doing all the Matrix movies Uh. and all the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And he is doing the new Doctor Strange right now for Sam Raimi. But he definitely has a distinct kind of style that you tend to kind of pick up on if you've seen a lot of his stuff and you kind of think about it. Think about how much the actual abduction scene feels like the part in the Matrix where Neo wakes up and is in the 
fucking does. tank yep. and goes through all the goop slide and all that kind of bullshit. It's exactly what I thought of. It's so similar. Yeah. And the way that things are shot, it feels very similar. There's a very cool moment where he floats out of his gross little pod that they were keeping him in and he floats down into this room where there are a bunch of spacesuits hanging from the ceiling. When I say spacesuits, imagine grays. the like stereotypical <laughs> yes. grays. Yeah. And he kind of realizes like, oh, that stereotypical look of the grays is just their little weird silver metallic spacesuits, right? And while he's looking at one, one of them kind of floats down because one of them was like, I guess, sleeping or something and like attacks him. But there is that cool moment where he's looking at it and you see the reflection in the like eye lens of the helmet that he's looking at, the one that's coming down from the wall. And that's kind of creepy and uncanny. That's a creepy part. Yeah. Yeah. Because like it sneaks up on him from behind. Yeah. Yeah. But that's such a Sam Raimi, Bill Pope kind of, you know, shot right there. There were a lot of little moments like that that I was like, yeah, this is totally the same dude shooting this stuff as you know, the Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Matrix and stuff like that. And and to that point, like, as far as horror newbies go, this I would absolutely recommend for horror newbies because yeah, it's not uh, bad. It's not bad at all. The abduction scenes are, there might be like two minor jump scares, like the alien kind of sneaking up on him was a little bit of a jump scare, and then like, when he first breaks out of that pod thing they put him in, and he accidentally like crashes into another one he sees yeah. like a dead body in that one which that that whole scene felt like that was a hollywood executive note like gotta add the dead body in there yeah. that was a little bit of a jump scare but otherwise it's just haunting imagery yeah i love that the dead body was still alive it wasn't actually a dead body it was like a person who was halfway like soul sucked into goo <laughs> yeah and they were like just kind of like you know sitting up while he was like hand in their body goop yeah but yeah, i that, do have to say that definitely felt like a dude's executive Buzz cut was still on point. Um, <laughs> he obviously he's been there for a while and his hair was looking pretty good still. Oh, maybe he was a military guy. Yeah. Um, also, I think there's a huge correlation, not on purpose, but when he sees the spacesuit, he literally says, spacesuit. And it reminds me so much of the first Matrix when Neo goes, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> spacesuit. Yeah, yep. I remember that. But uh, yeah, no, this is, this is a good movie for horror fans that are maybe a little squeamish or like easily <laughs> frightened. After the abduction scene, you were either going to be really turned on and into the idea of weird sex toys and vacuum forming <laughs> yep. or you're going to be completely like never want to see that again yeah you're definitely going to change <laughs> your opinion on saran wrap to, yeah to that point so i love the way they designed the spaceship right but it does feel like the trash compartment in the death star fucked hr giger <laughs> and then like lost and found was also dumped in there <laughs> yeah i do like the scene where they're dragging him Through down that long hallway yep. and there's just just years worth of dirt yep. and dust and, and like shoes objects. And There's just like a yeah. shoe floating and the yeah. glasses and yeah. stuff like that. And it's just weird to think that like they haven't cleaned up the hallways like at all of this ship. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. your perception of aliens is everything is clean and sterile and shiny, right? And metal. Like that's when you think of like UFOs in that sense. That's what you always think about. But like that hallway was fucking gross. <laughs> like it was dirty and dusty. Klaxar, <laughs> you haven't cleaned the hallway in two millennia. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Get off my back, smar smar. The Dustbuster yeah. battery has been dead for some time. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, some ideas of like some people who have claimed like in their abduction they remember like things about aliens and like in some ways they're way more advanced than we are, but then in other ways they are like clumsy and don't understand basic things of like humanity at all. Yeah. Um, like something <laughs> that just is so easy to us is like impossible to them or like unknowable to them. Yeah. But for some reason, he is goofy as that is it still made them more menacing because it's like a they've been abducting people for years and years and years and years b they don't give a shit yeah like they just don't give a shit they dispense with his clothing immediately uh and it's kind of like well you're gonna have a bad time yeah yeah. Don't need this. Rip. <laughs> yeah, Don't need yeah. these either. Rip. Yeah. For me, what was the most anxiety-inducing image of him, like, under that kitchen table, freaking out? Probably the most traumatic scene in this movie, and it's the imagery I go to when I think of the horror aspect of this whole movie, is that saran wrap that they put on him. Yep. That, like, outlines his entire body and face, and he's, like, silently screaming through the saran wrap thing over his face before they, like, slit open for him. That's what is especially creepy about everything with the spaceship. Parts of it seem mechanical but then parts of it seem biological like the ship itself is like this weird mix of an organism like a giant xenomorph organism with shit like these mechanical parts and that is another big actual thing that lots of people who have had abduction experiences say it's weird like they're very robotic and precise but also the goop there's stuff like that lots of people say that even though they have all this advanced technology and they're doing all this stuff they pour some sort of black liquid in your mouth and who knows what the hell that is but it seems to be a biological component to whatever it is they yeah. are well they put that weird speculum thing on his eyeball yeah but then God, it also was... squirts white milk into his eye his yeah. eyes. i don't think it was milk though and like what is that is that like some kind of nerve agent anesthetic like what is that you know mm, yeah. travis stop struggling we need you to complete the physical so you can join our dodgeball team. <laughs> well, and, I, and the thing I like, I, I love about it is that whole scene. Like, it's as unknowable as it would be if you like you were the one experiencing yep. it, said Travis. Yeah. And then they they just don't explain like what any of that happens. Like, they did something yeah, to his nope. eyes. They did some random eye trauma to him. They poured some goop in his mouth and in his eyes. No idea what it's actually for. Leaves it open ended, and it leaves open ended what they actually did to him with that weird fucking device that came down and I guess stabbed him right in the eye. Yep. Yeah. I'd like to think yep. that the white milky substance was so he didn't feel the needle going through his eye. <laughs> but he seemed to feel yeah. the needle going into it. There was still a lot of screaming yeah. going on. So, on this note, I mentioned earlier that the extra documentary that I kind of watched that was about this whole story, and the one thing I would say was kind of interesting as an extra little detail. One, the original crew that witnessed this whole thing was actually seven dudes, but for the sake of not confusing audiences, the writer trimmed it down to six which cutting one person yeah. out of seven i don't think helps if that's your goal maybe cut it down to like four people right? well yeah and i was about to say because like there wasn't too much of a difference between like the guy who liked music and even dallas like You're the right. pain in the ass guy yeah oh shit yeah i didn't even like add that guy into my notes yeah. exactly. like, that's how much he like is in the background of this he could have been cut or you could have combined yeah. him with dallas so if you're gonna do that for like hollywood stuff say cut it down to five or four do it yeah like actually actually do that. It could have just been four people, for sure. Yeah, so it was more dudes than just that, which I think is even more interesting in terms of all seven of these dudes say they saw the same thing, had the same exact reaction, took a polygraph, which, you know, we know polygraphs are not the most accurate in terms of what they're actually registering. Like, they are not 
lie detectors. They are stress detectors. I think it just lends more credence to the fact that, oh, there's even more dudes in the movie than the movie shows that are, like, claiming to have seen the same thing. Like, that's pretty interesting when, like, that many people have the same experience. Yeah. And so much of the rest of that documentary was just, here's other famous UFO people who, like, had their lives ruined and were constantly dogged by all this shit. But it was, like, the actual UFO nuts, not regular everyday people. Like, a lot of it was just, here's Stanton Friedman, and he's gonna talk to you about UFOs, and gee golly, his life was made tough when this one guy, like, got on him for a while. And it was stuff that was just kind of unrelated to this story, but as far as what if this could be, like, kind of true or whatever, the one interesting thing I found, and, you know, granted, who knows if these people are actually telling the truth, but they have gone back and surveyed the site where all this supposedly happened. And they have found that the trees in the immediate area of where the UFO was are all growing about 36 times faster than the surrounding trees outside of where the UFO was. And all of those trees have rings that have an outward directionality. You know how like a tree rings are the way they are, right? These are kind of warped and they're all pushing radially outward in a circle from where supposedly the UFO was. So like, that's kind of interesting. That's because the alien spacecraft uses directional gravitational fields. So if you want to learn more about that, look up Bob Lazar, but it's true. (laughs) They think it might have something to do with radiation as well, because apparently there was some Polish study on trees around Chernobyl, and they kind of found the same exact thing, that like all the trees around Chernobyl are growing at like a three times rate compared to like the trees outside of the immediate area. That means it's still kind of a hell of a mystery then of that area, because like if it's radiation, then like what the hell is that level of radiation in that area in a randomly? Yep. In Arizona. Well, and that's another phenomenon that is seen with crop circles. A lot of the crop circles that are accepted within the community as real and not man-made show weird gravitational forces, weird magnetic fields, and some sort of radiation. And, uh, which, uh, how does so that happen? COVID vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but some of the abduction cases, too, like, they've reported, like, weird level of radiation, like, yep. on a vehicle yeah. or something. So. Yeah, the Betty and Barney Hill, one of, yeah, yeah. basically, the first well-known credited abduction cases, their car was magnetized and radioactive. Yeah. Which, brr? Although, yeah. I will say, Barney was into some weird shit, because he was... <laughs> He was carrying, like, 50 pounds of fertilizer for no reason and also had a gun. Kind of makes me think he was going to perform an act of terrorism, but that's another extreme view for another time. (laughs) But, yeah, like, the thing also, too, to me that's interesting, because I don't know how many of these guys they got back for this documentary you actually watched, Aaron. They got back most of them. Like, you see the real Travis, you see the real Mike, you see the the real Steve. Local deputy guy, they have him on there. They show pictures of a lot of the other people. So it's most of the people people that are in this story because i know for a long time most of the guys like most of the other loggers didn't want to fucking appear in anything didn't want to talk to anyone they wanted to be left alone well mike said that he was like yeah after all this shit blew up and you know travis reappeared and all that like as soon as all that was kind of resolved i got the fuck out i moved away i left the area for years and that's kind of what happens in the movie granted it's two years yeah at the very very end well he also just kind of moves to like the edge of town yeah you know he doesn't like get out get out you know and this guy was like yeah i moved the fuck away for decades yeah and so like 
I think with pretty much them not trying to chase the story or like market it and they real like some of them really were just like leave me the fuck alone you know whether or not like it was aliens or they made this up I don't know but like that makes it feel a little more sincere to me I guess yeah they saw something strange happen and then Travis went off the deep end for a while yeah totally all right cool cool well um any final thoughts on fire in the sky uh they need more abduction horror movies I agree. I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. like uh, definitely. The, look, kids, the truth is out there, okay? I can't. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, yeah. saying the truth is out there. If I can't convince you, do your own research uh, and come to your own conclusions. But something's happening. And, you know, I guess one final point about the movie the lie detector test, yeah, we all know how those work, but they all believed something happened yeah yeah so even if it's real or not they believed it right. happened to them which uh, is, and that's another common yeah. thing with uh, any kind of ufo or paranormal experience that lots of people take these lie detector or stress tests and they believe legitimately that whatever happened to him happened to him so there's something out there also bigfoot is actually an interdimensional being which is why we can't find him <laughs> that's why we never find a dead bigfoot yes know? because he can travel uh, in dimensions they can also talk to you telepathically but if you ever are chased by a bigfoot if you cross a threshold like a door and then invoke jesus's name they cannot go past it so they're like vampires <laughs> yes this is all things that are true so that... they're like vampires okay, okay good correct. to know yeah, yeah so just in case also with black-eyed children you uh they can't enter the house yes unless because, like, you invite them in uh if you invite them in then they basically get to kill you so don't yeah, do that either eat your soul or whatever yeah shoot the black-eyed children definitely what about uh what about slenderman i think we left them off the list we yeah. did that's a whole bunch of bullshit let's be honest yeah. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, on that note, we are Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Mansfield, and my cowardly co-host, Derek. Once again, big thank you to our friend Evan for jumping on this episode. It was a lot of fun discussing Alien movies with you. As always, you can find us on all of the podcatchers at this point. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, once again, Amazon. On Podbean, etc. Our socials are at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter. Once again, big thanks to my little brother Jesse Mansfield, aka Party Gator, for the music bumps at the beginning and the ends of every episode. You can find more of his stuff on Bandcamp under Party Gator, Opossums, and several other associated acts. Definitely go there, check it out, throw him some dollars, and get some good music. All right, so I guess that's it for this episode. We uh, we got to get going. We got to get to work. And uh, I know I sure would like to get the hell out of here before Sally comes back. Sally won't be back. I don't think she likes us. <laughs>